what I remind you is the uh, choir finishes their anthem and jam plays and allows the choir to come down. That's your cue to get your Bibles out and, uh, and try to turn to the passage we're going to be looking at uh, each, each Sunday morning. So to, this morning we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, out of the seven cities where the seven churches were located, uh, the name of this city in this message is the most recognizable, is it not? I mean, the city's name is Philadelphia. And we think of that name, we recognize that name because it's one of the major cities in our own country, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, And that that city in Pennsylvania has a rich heritage. You know, in, in 1776... The Declaration of Independence was signed in Philadelphia. And in 1787, the Constitution of the United States was signed by our founding fathers there. And the city of Philadelphia here in the United States uh, was actually founded back in 1682 by a man named William Penn, who purchased the land from a local Indian tribe. And he, he named it Philadelphia, which as many of you know, means city of brotherly love. Because Penn was a Quaker and uh, he had experienced religious persecution and therefore he wanted the city, Philadelphia, to be a place where anyone could worship freely. And so the name that that he believed captured that desire best was the name Philadelphia. So that's the city, uh, that's the history of the city that we're familiar with in the United States, Philadelphia. But its history was quite different than the history of the church where the church was located in Revelation chapter 3. The city that Jesus references uh, was actually the youngest of the seven cities that are mentioned in Revelation 1 through 3. It was founded in 189 BC, and its name came from uh, the love that the king at that time had for his brother and his brother had for him. And so that's why it's called the city of brotherly love even back then. Of the seven cities, uh, Philadelphia was located the furthest east of the seven cities. And it was located among this uh, popular trade route. And therefore it was given the name, uh, the Gateway to the East. 
And what stands out as you read about this church in Philadelphia is that it is one of only two of the churches mentioned among the seven churches that receives praise from Jesus for what is going on in the congregation, but receives no rebuke. I mean, there's no, there's no severe problem that is going on within the congregation that Jesus you know, calls them out on. Uh, the other church that uh, is like that in the seven churches is the church in Smyrna. That church was also given praise by Christ for how it was handling their situation. And there was nothing internally that was really uh, glaringly going wrong that Jesus had to rebuke. And as we read Jesus' message to the church in Philadelphia, we, we quickly see that even though this church was healthy, things seemed to be going well within the church, it was still experiencing harm from those outside the church in the city. You see, religious tolerance was something that uh, was perhaps experienced in William Penn's uh, Philadelphia. Uh, but religious tolerance was not being experienced in the first century city of Philadelphia among the Christians. And therefore, Jesus has a message for both the Christians there in Philadelphia as well as those who were standing against them. Look with me at verse 8. Jesus says this. He says, I know, speaking to the church, I know you have little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So the Christians in Philadelphia had faced a trial. And we know this because the tense of the verbs point to something that had happened in the past. And so this trial tempted them to disobey God's word and deny Christ. And we see that the Christians did not give in to this temptation and they held fast to Christ. But who was, who was pressuring these Christians to deny Christ? Well, we catch a glimpse of who those people were who were hostile to the Christians in verse 9. Jesus says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. And so the people that were trying to make the Christians deny Christ were some of the Jews in Philadelphia. And we see this in verse 9 where the guilty, the guilty party are those who say they are Jews. And some believe that the Jewish Christians that were attending the synagogue in Philadelphia were being shut out of the synagogue and of the Jewish community because of their faith in Christ. And the argument against the Christians there in Philadelphia may have gone something like this. You know, in order to be a part of the synagogue in Philadelphia, you must hold to the teachings of Moses and reject the teachings of Jesus. Because we are still waiting for the Messiah. Therefore, you, you must deny that Jesus is the Messiah or you are no longer welcomed in the synagogue or in this community. And so the, the Christians there refused to deny Christ and some believe the result was that they were being shut out of the synagogue or shut out of the Jewish community. And so the Christians in Philadelphia were marginalized and oppressed simply because they peacefully held to a different faith than those around them. Now, let me try to take Jesus' message and apply that to us today. 
Because I, first of all, I am I'm very aware of the recent tragic shooting that occurred in the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And no doubt you've heard about that tragedy as well. And let me say that I would I strongly condemn that action, and I hope you do as well. You know, to try to harm or kill someone simply because they hold to a different religious view than you do is evil. I mean, it's morally wrong. It was wrong in the first century, and it's wrong in the 21st century. And some may think, you know, that religion is to blame. You know, one of my family members, uh, I have a you know, diverse family as it, when it comes to religious belief, and maybe you do as well. But one of my family members um, posted a skit that was created by Comedy Central. And the skit was a commercial for how to get rid of a mice infestation in your home. Okay? And so the pitch of the commercial was that if you want to get rid of the mice, all the mice in your home then you need to apply what's called credocide to these mice. And here's what you would do. You would take a decoy mouse that claimed to be the Son of God and introduce that mouse to the mice in your home. And then these mice would begin to believe in this mouse, that he's telling the truth, and they would form this group and rally around this mouse. And then what you would do is you would introduce another decoy mouse to another group of mice in your home that claimed to receive words from God and that this mouse, this mouse uh, recorded these words in what's called the Quran. And then you would have this group of mice over here. And so then what would happen is you'd have one group of mice try to convert the other group of mice to their religious belief. And when they refused, you would have a war break out. And then they would all kill each other, and then all your mice would be gone, and your house would be rodent-free. So obviously this was meant to be a skit. They were trying to be uh, comical with this. But the message is very clear, isn't it? If you can just get rid of religion, then you get rid of most of the violence in the world. That's the message. It's all... The problem is really just religious belief. That's the problem. But as we all know, or if you even know history, you know that this view is too simplistic and too naive. Because as you look through history, you realize that the main problem is not a certain belief system. Even though some belief systems tend to support violent action, the main problem is not the belief system, but the main problem resides in the heart of mankind. And in every heart, listen to this. In every heart resides the seed of every evil action. That's the fallenness of humanity. In every heart resides the seed of every evil action. Jeremiah 17.9 sums it up well. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now this doesn't mean that everyone is as evil as they could be. But what it does mean is that, the, is that the problem is within us. And there are beliefs and circumstances throughout your life that can help these seeds of evil grow. But the main problem is that the seed is present in the heart. The main problem is the heart. And this is why if you just simply do a research of history, you'll find uh, Muslims killing Jews and 
Jews killing Christians and Christians killing Muslims and Muslims killing Buddhists and atheists killing Jews and atheists killing atheists and and on and on and on. I mean, you can find it, right? You can find anyone who holds to any religious belief committing violence against another group. You can find it if you look hard enough. Whether it's one extremist faction or whatnot, you can find an example if you want to find it. And I think what this shows us is that the problem is not primarily with the belief system, but with the believer. The problem is with us. And so when left unchecked, our nature is not simply to agree to disagree. Our nature is to marginalize and oppress those who disagree with us until they agree with us. This is the seed of evil that's within the heart. In other words, you know, if, you don't, if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to make you look as bad as possible. That way, any harm that is done to you seems justified. And that's what we tend to do. is We, we tend to try to convert someone to our beliefs. And if they don't, if they disagree with us, then we go on the attack. That's our nature when left unchecked and allowed to go uh, on its own. And I will say, you know, some belief systems do encourage that type of action. I mean, they encourage, you know, if someone doesn't voluntarily agree with you, then you can result to that type of violent action. Some beliefs do encourage that. However, Christianity does not. (laughs) If you're a Christian, this is not how you behave. This is not how you follow Jesus. And as you read the scripture, you realize that Christianity acknowledges the sinfulness of the heart. And that's the problem. We know that the cure does not come from within. It doesn't come from us. The cure comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's the problem. We know we we are the problem. And we need a savior. We need someone to come and change our hearts. And we also believe in what's called the freedom of conscience. We believe that a person should voluntarily choose what they believe about God. They should not be forced to believe something about God. They should not be manipulated to believe something about God. But they should be able to voluntarily believe something about God. Now this means that at the same time, and we believe that we have the truth, and it's universal and applies to everyone. But we believe it's wrong to manipulate or oppress a people group or marginalize a people group simply because they don't believe the same way we do. We believe that you should want to become a Christian. And if you don't, that's your choice. But we're not going to force you to change your mind. So we believe in the freedom of conscience. And this is why when we look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 3, and we read Jesus' message to the Christians in Philadelphia, we don't hear Him telling the Christians to rise up and fight their opposition until they convert to Christianity. And now we look in this instance, we see the conflict was between Christians and possibly Christians from from Jewish lineage and Jewish people that were holding to Judaism and rejecting Christ as Messiah. But like I said before, the issue is bigger than that. It's not just one faith against another. It's of the heart. The heart's the problem. And as followers of Jesus, we don't 
strike out in manipulation or violence against those who disagree with us and seek to hold their beliefs peacefully just because they're different than our own. And so we don't hear Jesus saying, hey, you need to rise up and you need to fight those who are against you until they submit to your beliefs. Rather, what we hear him telling Christians is that you should hold fast to what you have. In other words, keep the faith, be faithful and be patient. And what does he say? Because I'm coming soon. In other words, this isn't your job to be the judge, but that is the, the role of Jesus. And he's coming soon and he will judge. And he will separate truth from error. Our job is to reign, remain faithful and represent Christ. And so the charge is never to uh, resort to manipulation or violence against someone because they don't hold to your beliefs. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verses 20 through 23. He says, But if you do do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to realize we are going to encounter people that disagree with us, right? And you've probably already encountered people, several people, many people that disagree with you. Um, and, we're, and that's going to continue. And you may even encounter people that not only disagree with you, but try to shut you out. In other words, keep you from participating in certain activities or events or uh, types of community or, or being part of a certain things just because of your faith in Christ. And that's nothing new. It's been happening in the church for centuries. But the question is, how do we respond to those situations? How do we respond when people disagree with us and even move toward even uh, trying to marginalize us or slander us? Well, I think first we need to remember the description of Jesus that's given in verse 1. Jesus begins His message to the church in Philadelphia by saying, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So Jesus is holy and true. These are these are attributes that are uh, normally given to God. So he's showing the uh, the divinity of Christ himself. And then it says that he has the key of David. You know, a key is a symbol of authority. And what this means is that Jesus is the only one that can open the door to the kingdom of God. He has authority over entrance to the kingdom of God. And He can open the door and no one can shut it. And when He shuts it, no one can open it. In other words, He's the only one that, and through through Him, is the only way to gain entrance to the kingdom. Because... He has this key. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus tells the Christians in Philadelphia who are experiencing this marginalization. He says, I know your works, 
Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And so these Christians, yes, they may have been shut out of the synagogue. They may have been shut out of certain businesses. They may have been shut out of certain social circles. They may even been shut out of their own families. But Jesus tells them that He has set before them an open door that no one can shut. In other words, He's saying you are part of the kingdom of God and no one can take that from you. You may be shut out of all these other areas that the world uh, is placed out there, but you cannot be shut out from the kingdom. So, thinking about how we interact with people that disagree with us, how should we respond Uh, What should we do when we encounter those who not only disagree with us, but seek to marginalize or oppress us? First, as followers of Jesus, we must remember that Jesus has all authority. And if we're in Christ, He has opened a door for us that leads to eternal life, and, and no one can take that from us. No one can take that from you. The world may take many things from you, but the world cannot take that from you. Second, we must hold fast to the faith and represent Jesus as we engage in the circumstance. Okay, we we should engage in the circumstance, but as we do so, we must remember that we're representing Christ. And I think this is very timely, especially as we move into this election season and we are uh, hearing all kinds of different things out there and uh, people are uh, petitioning for our vote for this or for that. Uh, and there's going to be disagreement. You know, when you think about issues and life and topics, I mean, there's going to be disagreement. But we have to be careful how we express our ideas and beliefs as followers of Jesus because we are representing Christ. And so be careful how tightly you cling to this candidate or that candidate, uh, to this party or that party. Because, you know, the governor of Georgia, uh, they, have, they may have some keys. Um, the president of the United States, he has some keys. Uh, the rulers of China and Russia and other world leaders, they have keys. But only Jesus has the key of David. All these other people just have keys of a kingdom that will perish. But Jesus has the key of the kingdom. He has the key to the kingdom of God. And it's the only kingdom that will last. And therefore, it should be the only kingdom that should govern our reaction. It should be priority over every other kingdom. Every other allegiance we have should be submitted to our allegiance to Christ. Therefore, even as we engage in debate uh, over election issues and whatnot, we must remember, I am representing Jesus Christ because He is my King. He's the only one that has the key of David. And then thirdly, to help us navigate these difficult circumstances, because guess what? Even as you engage with people, they're not always going to agree with you. And things aren't going to go your way. And things aren't always going to be smooth. And so to help us navigate these circumstances, we need to keep an eternal perspective. And that's why I think in verse 12, Jesus tells the Christians in Philadelphia that for those who persevere in the faith... He will do the following. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And never shall he go out of it. And what's communicated in that is stability and security. 
which is a little side note here for Philadelphia. Philadelphia encountered uh, several earthquakes and tremors. And as you can imagine, as a civil engineer major, I can appreciate this. You know, the buildings back then were not earthquake proof. You know, and so it made the people a little nervous being in downtown Philadelphia because they knew if an earthquake would come, masonry would begin to fall and they needed to get out of town. And so what would happen is often many of these people would live outside the city just because they didn't want to be sleeping and another earthquake or you know, tremor would come and the building would collapse on you. And so they were very familiar with this type of environment in Philadelphia. And so you kind of can think of California and the San Andreas Fault, you know, a lot of tremors, a lot of earthquakes, making a very unstable place to live. But Jesus says, I'll make you a pillar in, in the temple of my God. In other words, there's security here. There's stability here. And then he continues to say, and I will write on him the name of my God. So those in Christ will be part of the family of God. You belong to God. You are sons and daughters of God. And he continues to say, I will write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. So not only will we be God's people, but we will be citizens in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. We will be where God is in his fullness, in his presence, his presence to bless. And so we will not be cast out, but we will be welcomed in. And then lastly, Jesus says that he will write on him my own new name. And perhaps this communicates the the special relationship that we'll have uh, with Jesus for eternity. So if we're going to navigate as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to navigate the difficult circumstances that that come with uh, encountering those that disagree with us, uh, we have to remember that Jesus has all authority. We must remember that, yes, we can engage in the process But we must represent Jesus because he is our king and we must have an eternal perspective. And as we carry out this charge here in Augusta, even, you know, our city probably is not going to change its name to Philadelphia. It's probably not going to happen. Right. But hopefully, as we live out our faith here in Augusta, our city will experience more and more of the brotherly love of Christ. And that is our hope. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word to us this morning. Lord, thank you that uh, you have given Jesus the key to the kingdom. And God, we just pray uh, as we encounter those who disagree with us, God, may we be uh, kind. May we be gracious. May we hold fast to the faith and not compromise. But may we do so in a way that shows the love of Christ to those around us. And may we remember that uh, your kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever. May we remember that we are your people. And if so, we need to represent you as we engage with people that may disagree with us. And Lord, we are so thankful for your promise that for those who persevere in the faith that you will uh, grant them not only uh, access to the kingdom of God, but that you will continue to help us to experience and allow us to experience our relationship with God as sons and daughters and that we will be with you forever. 
God, would you give us the grace that we need? Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may represent you well in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in. That more and more people may experience your love for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.